0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We want to be talking about a. We're talking about a specific topic tonight. Uh, we've been on this topic for a while, um, for the last few services, and it's a very important topic. A topic oftentimes not talked about. I had spent some time with um, some of our seniors today, and I asked them if they'd ever heard about fasting, and they said they'd gone to church all their life, and they didn't think that they'd ever heard any message ever on fasting other than avoiding meats on a particular day, or maybe not eating before you go to church for the old-time Catholics, Uh, but they'd never really sat down and talked about it with anyone. Now, we we realize that fasting is a very private topic, and tonight we want to look at it in another light, fasting in regard to faith. Uh, Faith is, of course, one of the most essential things that you have in your walk for God. Uh, Outside the word of God, without faith, you would be lost. Um, But anything that will renew faith and allow faith to see through the darkness to revive hope is of importance to us, especially when we're dealing in a day like today. I look at uh, faith in regard to fasting as uh, life is sort of like, the world is like a fog that gets between you and the sun. Above the fog is a clear sky and a bright sun, but underneath the fog is obscurity, uncertainty, dreariness. Dampness, things that aren't necessarily pleasant. Fasting is like the wind that picks up and pushes the fog out of the way to allow the light to shine down on you. And anything that we can do to drive away the things that cause us to be separated from revelation is important. And notice I say revelation. You aren't going to change God's mind by what you do. Let me clarify that. You can't force God to do something that he does not want to do. I remember my first um, encounter with fasting. We were in the cool group over at Parkway, uh, Parkway Apostolic Single Set. Um, Of course, my brother wasn't in that because he'd already jumped into marriage. And I remember that Pastor Tamil had talked on fasting. Now, all of you may know, and if you haven't met the Blanks, of course, many of you have. Elaine Blank at that time was Elaine Pachowski. And uh, we got together one night, and we decided that we wanted to pray and fast for her healing. She has, she's got a bad hear, hearing in one ear. And she was frustrated because the dog always would eat her hearing aid because something about hearing aids and dogs—the dogs, the dogs can't stand them. So we decided that we were going to see her ear healed and use it in our testimony with others. So we made a pact, the group of us, that none of us would eat. We were going to only drink water for three days, and at the end of three days she was going to receive a healing in her ear. And, man, that was the first, the toughest three days of my life in my early Christian walk. I'll tell you, I remember the third night at the end. I was dreaming, and in my dream, I didn't know I was dreaming. I got up and went into the kitchen and got a pizza out of the freezer and threw it into the oven, and I ate the whole thing. And when I woke up, I thought I'd really done it. I thought, oh, no, she's not going to be healed. And it's my fault. I ate that pizza. Well, I realized that it was just a dream, and we got together after the fast was over, and we were going to rejoice in Elaine's hearing. But Elaine, he, Elaine's hearing wasn't restored. And I wondered, why, God? You know, we... We, we fasted. I suffered through three days. You know, it seemed like, and especially when you're fasting, the devil always makes sure you go buy a donut shop or some restaurant that's cooking something that's fried. And I was disappointed in God. That, you know, I, I paid a pretty high price for this, and you didn't come through on it. But if I can relate to you that fasting is not to change God, fasting is to change us. Fasting allows us to see why things are allowed to go on the way that they do. Fasting is is a private thing. It's not something we want to make public. Uh, Jesus, the only time I'm aware that he fasted was during his 40-day fast. It's the only time I know that he fasted in the New Testament. And that was to, to herald his ministry. That was a a beginning of the ministry of the preaching of the gospel which would lead to the Day of Atonement because Christ was going to be the atonement for our sins. And in atonement, on the Day of Atonement, there was always fasting. Go back into the Old Testament. The Day of Atonement encompassed fasting. It was a travail for the soul, for redemption. And um, Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he says, But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Don't let people know what you're doing in your sacrifices, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And like I mentioned, 30 times in the New Testament, fasting is mentioned. Each time is almost in a very favorable manner. Um, Matter of fact, it's possible that fasting was even overemphasized in some parts of the early church. Um, When you look back at some of the epistles in the book of Acts, you find that before any monumental thing took place, for instance, Uh, the choosing of disciples or leaders for the church. The church would fast. Why were they fasting? They were fasting for revelation. They were fasting for direction. They wanted their mind aware of God's will. When I am strong in my flesh, I probably overcome somewhat my spirit. And uh, I have to be Careful! I remember telling this, and I'm not even going to share this, but I can't say this example anymore because in the 21st century, people would be offended. But I think my brother mentioned it last Sunday when he was preaching. There's a good part to us and a bad part. There is a carnal nature and a divine nature, a spiritual nature. How do you know which one is the strongest? Well, that's a simple answer. You can't get any more simple. The one you feed. If you feel that you're overwhelmed by your flesh and that you don't feel like you can feel God's presence like you used to, let me assure you that God didn't move away from you. More than likely, you've got fog on the horizon. You need to blow the fog away. And you can do that through fasting. Now, Jesus' disciples did not fast while he was with them. That was interesting, too, because the question was asked, uh, why do not your disciples fast? We We don't have evidence of during the three and a half years of the ministry of Christ of the disciples ever fasting one time. It bothered the Pharisees so much because they took great pride in their fasting. They let the whole world know they fasted. That was their identity, uh, and that was their key to authority. And Jesus said to them, now this is a very important scripture. The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, fasting in Matthew, the ninth chapter, verse 14 and 15, is associated with mourning in the scripture. You know, have you ever felt like, boy, I'm really forcing myself to fast? You don't need to worry about fasting. God will bring things into your life that will drive you to draw away from food. And draw, try to draw close to God. I hate to use myself as an example. But, you know, I have tried to lose weight the last years. <laughs> and I just couldn't lose a pound. It was a struggle. But I went through something the last two or three months. And I, I didn't even go on a diet. Nobody told me what I couldn't eat. And I lost 25 pounds. Wow, I fit into every suit now. That's amazing. What caused me to lose weight? My circumstances took away my desire for food. My, the struggle that I was having, not only with my pain, but in, in my relationship to keep close to God amidst the struggle, caused me to fast away from food and seek God. What Jesus is telling his disciples, there will be a day in your life. When you will face a trial or a place of struggle, and you will find that you will not want food. You will draw away from food. But while the bridegroom is here, while you're walking with the resurrection and the life and the light of the world, why would you fast when everything is perfect? You have to have a goal or a reason or a purpose in your fast there has to be something that you identify with. And tonight, uh, I would like to help you increase your faith in your fast. But I don't think that we need to have hunger strikes. I don't think that we need to try to force God into a corner by what we're doing and saying you have to do this because that's not what it's intended to do. See, fasting is very appropriate during times of sorrow. Another example. When God caused the first child born to Bathsheba, I'm in 2 Samuel 12 and 16. When God caused the first child born to Bathsheba by David to become sick, what did David do? It says David fasted while he pleaded for the infant's life. There was great sorrow in David's heart he also fasted in 2 Samuel, the third chapter, verse 35, when Abner died. David, the Bible said, in Psalms 35 and 13, he even fasted when his enemies were sick, clothing himself in sackcloth. He said, I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. Fasting is born out of vision. It's born out of something that you desire. Something you feel that you cannot lose. Something that drives you to not even want to eat food. It is so important to you that you abstain from it. You have no desire. And I can show you over and over again in scriptures of relationship, when in human relationships and struggles, that God's people, when they had a cause that mattered to them so much they would abstain from food and it wouldn't be the struggle that you might think it would be. On occasions of deep grief, fasting is a natural human response. Do you ever lose something important and somebody said, well, do you want to go out and get a bite to eat? What do you say? No, I'm not hungry. I just, I'm not hungry. I just don't, at this, I don't care to eat. Their appetite leaves them. Food doesn't have an appeal to them. Is that bad? No, that's a, a common response in times of tribulation or trial to help us refocus on the problem that we're encountering. And we do not do them a favor by insisting that they eat. You look at King Jehoshaphat, Second Chronicles, the twentieth chapter, verse three. Overwhelming danger. Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast in Judah. The Moabites and the Ammonites are surrounding, surrounding Israel. From a human standpoint, this seemed like the end of the nation of Israel. This—they were in dire circumstances. They cried out to God for help, forsaking food, as they did that. Look at Queen Esther. When she interceded on behalf of all the people uh, in her kingdom, Ahasuerus has made a decree that all Jews should be destroyed. She goes into Shushan to the palace, and she needs to plead for her people. How do you think... Esther feels. Do you think that she feels like going out and having a big party? Does you think that she wants to, on her way to see the king, have a bite to eat? No. She says, I feel I need to abstain from food to focus on what I need God to do. Food doesn't matter to me as much as God's people matter to me. I don't want anything to cause me to be distracted from something as as important as this. If we, as children of God, could see the day in which we live and see the, the cliff that the church is out on and see that the whole fate of the world is determined at this point by what the church does or does not do, all of a sudden food would not be as interesting to us. Sometimes we need that spiritual revelation inside of us. Fasting isn't hard. It's almost a natural response. As the exiles were about to leave Babylon to return back to Jerusalem, it says, Ezra declared a fast. And Ezra 8.21 says this, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. And He goes on to say, For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the way, because we had said to the king, the hand of God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him. But his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this manner, and he listened to our entreaty. What he's saying is, we didn't have a company of soldiers to march with us down to Jerusalem to protect us from our enemies on the way. We had told the king that our God was able to supply all of our needs and protect us. So we were on our own, and we were concerned about our safety, so we entreated God for our families, for our safety, and for the establishment of our nation once again. And the Lord listened. I think sometimes... The, the Bible says the earnest, effective, the, fer, the earnest, the fervent. See, help me with this again. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The two adjectives there the effectual. In other words, the effective prayer is one that's focused, the fervent prayer is the one that's full of energy, purpose, and fire. It's the kind of prayer that that's, can oftentimes be loud and boisterous and doesn't care if it makes too much noise. The fervent prayer isn't concerned about other things, even food. It's concerned about its outcome. You know, penitence was often accompanied by fasting as well. David fasted after his double sin the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, and then having Uriah killed uh, in battle, Daniel fasted as he prayed to God to forgive the sins of his people and himself. When Elijah confronted Ahab with God's judgment for his wickedness, the king tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently that was first kings 2127 because of Ahab's sincerity the lord in verse 29 postpones judgment see god can tell how much something means to you by how it changes how you live there's one there's one way to make a affirmation by agreement. There's another means to make agreement by commitment. It's like having breakfast in the morning. You have ham and eggs. Who do you think is committed to the meal and who do you think is just helping out? The chicken made a commitment. The pig made a sacrifice. Everybody wants to, make a, uh, wants to put in something that doesn't cost them a whole lot personally. But when I fast, I'm committing something personally, throwing it into the pot. Because of Ahab's sincerity, the Lord post, postponed judgment on him. We know that later he fell away, but through his sincerity, through his fasting... God allowed him a longer period of time to reign. The Bible also says that Ezra, in the 10th chapter, verse 6, after Jerusalem and the Israelites were convicted of intermarrying with unbelieving Gentiles, which was strictly forbidden, it says in that verse, Ezra confessed that sin in behalf of his people, that he did not eat bread nor drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. See how fasting is oftentimes associated with mourning? Or wanting to avoid a judgment, something that could cause you the loss of something that you love? When the people of Nineveh, remember Jonah, he was quite a character. He was... He was the, the rebellious prophet. And most people think that Jonah was, was sort of a bad character for not obeying God, but if you could have lived at the time that Jonah lived, and you could have saw in the city of Nineveh the, the huge pile of bones in the, in the town square of all its enemies, the skulls and the arms and the joints and the legs and the feet, piled high as, as to the wickedness of that nation and you could have recognized that some of those skulls and some of those bones belonged to people that you loved, you probably wouldn't have a great amount of affection for that city either. And it was to those people that God directed Jonah. But Jonah didn't want to go. He knew that God was merciful and kind. But when he finally made it there after a Making a detour into the whale's belly and down into the bottom of the sea, and then being thrown up on the shore. You know, I, I remember in Bible study, in Search for Truth, it tried to give a description of what Jonah looked like. His hair was bleached white from all the acid in the whale's belly, and his skin was wrinkled. And he must have looked terrible after three days of being half digested. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. You probably had supper, but it wasn't a pleasing sight. When he stood before the people of Nineveh and told them that they were standing before the judgment of God and that God was going to destroy them. Their hearts were pricked and they believed the preaching of Jonah. Even though Jonah didn't want them to believe. Isn't that something? How would you like to go to preach to somebody and witness to them and say, I hope you don't believe. I'm telling you that you need to be saved, but I hope you're not. Wow, what a preacher, huh? I bet you that was a real positive message. But God's power can override your personality. Because the word is the word is the word is the word, and it will accomplish what it's meant to accomplish, regardless of how you present it. God will deal with you separately. So after they heard the preaching of Jonah, it said the king of Nineveh called a great fast, I'm in Jonah 3, 5 and 7, called a great fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. By the decree of the king, they would not let man, beast, herd or flock taste anything. That means nothing, no one ate. They all were to focus on the impending destruction of their nation. Sometimes that food helps us to focus on what's really important, the absence of that food. It shows God that we're willing to walk away from a meal because we feel that what we're seeking is more important than that at the present time. And rather resent the warning of judgment and damnation They repentantly turned to God and sought his forgiveness and his mercy. Notice how fasting is a part in each one of these cases. Did David see his son live? Do you know what happened after the boy died? David immediately called for nourishment. And it was so strange that he could go from one, one side of the spectrum to the other that his servant said, how, you know, you haven't eaten for so long. How can you eat now? He said, while the child lived, there was hope. But now the child is gone. What need now is there for me to fast any longer? You know, I I think about even when you read about Daniel's 70 weeks. God gave Daniel this revelation. And I want to tell you, it it truly upset Daniel. As he tried to contemplate the things that were coming upon the face of the earth, he was deeply troubled. So what did he do? He prayed and he fasted and it said he, he abstained from any tasty food. That's found in uh, Daniel 9, verse 21 and 22, I believe it is. Or Daniel 10 and 3. I'm sorry, Daniel 10 and 3. He was seeking wisdom. He needed to understand the meaning of the vision. Here we have the fog. Here we have the clouds. We need to get rid of the things that obscure God's plan so we can understand the sun doesn't change the atmosphere around us changes but God does not change I have the ability through fasting to drive away the thing that sits between me and God and that's usually my carnal nature or my flesh It says he gave his attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. As he continued, Daniel 9, 2, and 3, as he continued speaking in prayer, he reports that the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with, with understanding. That's exactly what he was asking for. I need to understand. I need to have insight. And it was a short time later, just before receiving another vision, that Daniel made another partial fast. And he fasted for three weeks. It's important to note that when you don't understand and when you're trying to find your way, that oftentimes when you're seeking God with all of your mind, with all your heart, and you're you're fervently seeking his face, that fasting helps tune the dial on the reception. You can have a radio, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be listening to WTMJ. There's lots of stations that you can listen to Fasting allows you to turn the dial and tune it in to what you're wanting to hear. You ever have a station? And I used, to, I used to listen to Adventures in Odyssey when I was driving. I got it for the kids, but really, when I bought them their gifts, I really took them with me in the truck and I would listen to them. But sometimes i turn on the radio And all of a sudden, I'd be driving, and I'd lose the station. Oh, no, it's almost near the end. Please, please. He starts to talk, and it starts to go away. You know how frustrating that was? Please, God, i got to hear the end. I can't wait. Fasting helps us keep focus and keep connection open. I guess oftentimes we fail to understand God's word. Just like those people in scripture could not see clearly, and they sought God with fasting and prayer and sackcloth, I too am in flesh and bone and human the human element just like they were. I too must try to seek his face through adjusting the frequency of my spirit. Again, fasting oftentimes accompanying an important task or a ministry if you're thinking of starting a ministry, if you're looking to go out and take a step of faith, wouldn't it be wise to know that God was with you on your adventure? That he was going to be a backer and commit himself to the work that you were encountering? I remember a terrible mistake I made early in ministry. I... I. I I learned a great lesson through it, but it was a terrible price to pay. I remember uh, moving to Oconomowoc after I graduated, uh, actually, after, actually after Lisa graduated from Madison, we moved from Madison back to Oconomowoc and we were Rick with here with my brother, brother Kylie, Rick. And um, I really wanted to have a church of my own. I really wanted to get into ministry and we went to district conference one year and it was in Utah and me and my wife um, flew out to Utah and we met a man at conference in a restaurant, matter of fact, and we started to talk and he mentioned that there were several churches open open for pastors on the eastern shore out in Virginia uh, Maryland area Delaware and I thought how cool that would be and I came back home and I didn't really talk with my brother too much about it. I was afraid he might talk me out of it, and it's best not to talk to your pastor if you're not certain about doing something because he might tell you you, what you don't want to hear. It's better to do it and then come back and plead with him to help you. (laughs) Not. So I flew out to to Delmar, Delaware, and uh, we got in the car, and I could, I'd like to tell you the guy's name, but he was not much of a man of God, so I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, we drove to Federalsburg, Maryland. We looked at a church there. It was a nice building, but not a lot of people there, so I didn't wasn't too keen on that, so we moved down to a place down in Hallwood, Virginia, and boy, this had a school, and it was a nice building and a nice group of people, and I thought, what a great church to start with, uh, and I was flying back from, I think I flew out of Washington, D.C., I can't remember, but I remember saying, God, do you want me to go? And I didn't feel like anything that God wanted me to go, but I didn't feel like he didn't want me to go. And I just said, you know, if somebody needs a glass of water and I have water, do I need to pray about it? What a dumb thing. Of course, in a major decision in your life, what a silly thing to say. I'm just going to go do it and hope that it works out for the best. Well, we, we quit our jobs. I had a union job in Milwaukee, making great money. And Lisa had a great job. I think she was working out in a Cotton Walk Memorial Hospital. We quit uh, everything, loaded up the U-Haul. We moved out uh, to Virginia. And I should have known on the way out there that it was not of God. I think God was stopping me from ever going because I ate at a restaurant on the way and had food poisoning. And that was a terrible experience. And then I had a plant that I'd raised in, at ABI for three and a half years, and it died on the way out there. I kept, well, I kept three and a half years. It was a beautiful plant, and it died. And we, we moved out there, and everything went wrong. We couldn't find a place to live. We ended up buying or renting this old mobile home. And we moved in, and I remember when the wind was blowing, the curtains, with the windows were closed, we were still blowing. It was like the curtains were open and everything went wrong. And the pastor decided that uh, he was going to keep the income from the church and handle the finances. And until he felt that he, he was able, he was not going to give us any living allowance or anything like that. Well, eventually we lost everything and everything went bad. And I learned, why didn't I ask God about this? It's almost like Elijah going to Mount Sinai after having that confrontation with Jezebel and God basically saying to him after he made that long trip, oh, that was a long trip from the northern part of Israel all the way down into the Sinai Desert and God saying to him, what what are you doing here? Why are you here? Did I tell you to come? Did did you ask me what you should do? You, You mean you just came down here? Why did you make the trip? Fasting helps us to hear God's voice so that we don't make decisions that cause us hardship. Do you know how much we had when we came back? We couldn't even afford to put gas in the tank of the truck. We had nothing. We ended up living with our in-laws, and it was, it was the most humiliating time of our early life. But I determined that after that, I would never make a decision in the same manner that I made that decision. The early church learned the same principle. When they sent the elders out to the different churches of Asia Minor, they prayed and fasted before they sent them out to make sure that these individuals were the ones that were called by God. God only knows how much the leadership and the function of this church as well as many Christian churches would change if we could feel the same way about some of the decisions that we make. Uh, it's almost like th- these people that are, a lady came up and says, I just bought another lottery ticket. And I said, well, you know, the odds right now you have a, a The odds are greater that right now you'll be struck by lightning at this exact moment than you winning the lottery. She says, well, I'm just throwing it out there. In other words, I'm just throwing money away. Maybe something will happen to it. And I felt like saying, would you just throw it towards me? Just throw it at me if you're going to throw it away. Do you want to live for God that way? Now, if God told me tonight that if I were to drive over to Delsman to to the gas station, and that I was going to win, get the winning ticket, I would ask my brother to go because I wouldn't want to suffer the wrath of the UPC for gambling. And then I'd ask him to split it between the church and me. (laughs) But see, the difference is I know. I know what God is going to do. The Bible says the people were in great fear where no fear was. And I, I'm working on, I'm so excited about this study that I'm, I'm, I'm working on. It's, it deals with fear and the, and the terror of fear. But the scripture always sort of reminds me they had no reason to be afraid. They were afraid and they were going through the terror of fear and there was no reason for it. It's like they were afraid of the boogeyman in the room and they were were shaking in their bed and there was no boogeyman in the room. God allows us through fasting and prayer to visibly see in the spiritual realm what is evident so that we do not need to live in fear. But everything comes at a cost. There's two different times of fast, and you know, I, and I'm going to close with this tonight. Um, God rebukes in the Old Testament the fast of some because they're they're fasting and they're doing those things which were wrong. Matter of fact, when it even came to communion, the Church of Corinth was even the most holy, uh, important thing of communion celebrating the atonement and the the shedding of Christ's blood and and the purchase of the church, these people would come and take communion and they would treat their brothers and sisters in the Lord like dirt. The wealthy Christians wouldn't share with the poor Christians and some ate really great and some just had bread and water. And Paul writes to them and says, that's not good. How can you celebrate something as important as communion, and treat your brothers the way that you do? In the same manner, how is it, and the Lord speaks about fasting, how is it that you can come to me with fasting and hate your brother or have a spirit that's unholy and uncommitted and rebellious? I think, I I don't know, Brother Tammy used to say that fasting without the element of prayer and a humble and broken spirit was just what? A hunger strike. And hunger strikes don't move God. But that if my people which are called by my name shall and pray and seek, I will hear. All those elements placed together, I think I'm going to close with this verse. Is not this the fast which I choose? Isaiah 58, 5 through 9. Isaiah 58, 5 through 9. Is not this the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide your from, hide yourself from your own flesh then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you the glory of the lord will be your rear guard then you will call and the lord will answer you will cry And he will say, Here I am. Isn't that the fast that God has chosen? To do the right things. I think of how Jesus hated the Pharisees. (laughs) He had a temper. You whited sepulchres. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. You place heavy burdens on the people, and you don't even lift one finger to help them. In other words, you burn my people, you make it tough for them, and you don't even help them. You're just lifeless, useless. The fast that I choose is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then love your brother, your neighbor as yourself. That's part of the fast that I've chosen. And so tonight, it's not just the abstaining of, from something. It's the attitude that's involved in the sacrifice. And you want to talk about faith? Let me close with what I started with. What did the lesson that I learned with Ron and Elaine and these others, Bill, Bill Paddock was one of them, Howard Het? What did I learn when God didn't heal Elaine? A new Christian, I thought if you threw everything into the pot, you'd have stew. If you put all the right ingredients in, you'd have stew. But I learned that God's way is not always my way. And that I don't always get what I want. Because God has a greater plan for my life than the one that I've planned. And his plan is for the better. His plan affects other people more than it affects me. And so do I say it's useless? Absolutely not. I learned through that that God had his will in our hearts. And um, so anyway, so if you'll stand with me tonight. I would like, after doing this tonight, I, I've had something on my heart all day. And it's a burden that I have. And it just involves someone that I love, and I believe I feel the presence of God, and I feel like we've tuned in a little bit. I want to pray tonight for one person in particular that could really use a touch from God right now, tonight. Uh, My sister's going through a little bit of a trial, and uh, she's been going through it for a while. Uh, I don't know if she wants me to share it with you, but I'll let her do that if she wants uh, but she just needs a touch right now of peace and hope. And sometimes when one person's weak, another person's strong. It's the per, strong person who God want, help, wants to help the weak. So you, if you'll bow your heads with me, me, I want you to picture her. She's Uh, she's just going through a hard time. Physically, it's a physical thing that she's going through and she's in the hospital. I'll just leave you with that. She needs a touch right now. If nothing else, that she can see God's plan in all these things. Lord Jesus, I pray for my sister Linda tonight, Lord. You're in the room with her. Your peace is all around her. I pray that our prayer of faith